Romans chapter 15, verses 14 to 21. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of all goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Let's pray. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has worked through me to bring about the obedience of this people. And therefore, again, Lord, I renounce all reliance upon myself, my preparation and I ask for you to come the living Christ who has all authority in heaven and on earth and by your Holy Spirit draws near and does wonders in the hearts of your people come so that there would be an obedient an acceptable a sanctified people readied to be offered up to you. I pray for the pastors gathered with us in these services, that they would be enabled by their presence here and by their presence at the conference to prepare a people obedient and sanctified to offer up to God as their crown of boasting their joy, their hope. So, Lord, come and do these great things among us now, I ask in Jesus' powerful and merciful name. Amen. Well, there are a lot of pastors coming, and quite a few come early and come to these services Sunday morning and this evening. And... Therefore, I reflected on whether I should press on in Romans or not. We've been in Romans for eight years now. And um, I'd only, I only have a few more Sundays before I go on um, sabbatical. And I thought, well, we should just wait and pick it up in August. But then I, I looked at this text and I thought, nope, this text is so well suited for these pastors. I think I'll stay here for another Sunday or two. 
So that's the reason for picking up what we're going to focus on, namely verses 14 to 18, even though I ask that the larger text be read. What we see in 14 to 18 of Romans 15 is Paul's ministry goal, and I think it's a good ministry goal for all of us pastors. And you will find, if you're sitting there saying, oh my, he's going to talk to the pastors, what about me? This text will have, or this sermon, will have a, a, a surprise ending. It surprised me. And so uh, it's a lay people ending in a pastor's sermon. And so just hold your breath for about 35 minutes or whatever we have here, and, uh, and you will be included. And then if you think the rest of it isn't for you, you're wrong. You need to pray hard for your pastors that these things happen. The main statement in this text, I believe, is found in verse 17, stating his goal and ours. So let's look at verse 17. In Christ Jesus, then, or therefore, basing that on something that's gone before, in Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud or boast of my work for God. Now, what I mean by calling that the main statement in these verses 14 to 18 is that everything else supports it and it doesn't support anything. We need to see that and I'll show it to you this way. First of all, notice that uh, in it is the word therefore or then in Christ Jesus, then, because something is true, then or therefore this follows. And so it's supported by what goes before. And then look at verse 18 following. It begins with the word for. Starting with verse 17, in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. So verse 18, starting with that word because or for, is supporting, arguing for, validating what went before in verse 17. So what comes before it is leading to it, and what comes after it is supporting it. And therefore, verse 17 is standing there as the, as the apex of the main, as the main point of this So what is it saying? What's verse 17 saying? In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud or boast of my work for God. Now, the point of that verse is not simply that Paul has a boast or has something to be proud of. The point is that he has something to be proud of in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, I have this reason to boast or be proud of the things that I'm doing for God or the things that relate to God. It's a very difficult phrase to translate. Now, that's really crucial to see that it's in Jesus Christ that he has this boast. And it's crucial for two reasons. One, boasting is sinful if it's in me. And not in Jesus. Paul said, 
Second Corinthians 10:17. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Galatians 6:14. Far be it from me that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 3:27. What becomes of boasting? It is excluded. So it's really crucial that whenever he undertakes to say, I'm boasting, we hear some very important Christ-exalting qualifiers like, in Jesus Christ, I have a boast in my work. We need to probe that word, in Jesus Christ, I have reason for boasting. Because boasting is so sinful. Pastors, this is not just a matter of words. It won't do to have a boastful spirit coming out sideways in how often you invite this person to your church and how often you go to speak here and how big your church is and how fast it's growing is kind of coming out in all kinds of ways. And then you sing to God be the glory at the end of the service. People see right through that. This is a heart issue first, because if it's wrong here, it's going to come out. I was on an email with a friend this week. And he was burdened by a well-known pastor, and he sent me the last five first sentences of his blog, which are all about self, 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 self. And he's concerned. He said, John, talk to this guy. So, lay people, is this relevant for you? Is it, is it important that you be this way, if not, you know it is, then at least pray for this pastor and the pastors who are coming here so that our hearts are an in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. All that I am, all that I have, all that I want is in Christ Jesus. And guard me from the slippery side comments that just call a little bit of attention to me. Oh, how subtle pride is. So first reason why we need to stress this little phrase in verse 17, in Christ Jesus, is because boasting is just so evil when it's not in Christ Jesus. And the second reason that we need to stress is, is that the whole passage, 14 to 18, is founded on the truth that God graciously works through people so that our ministry prosperity or not is owing to God and not to us. What really matters in a church is owing to God. If it's not owing to God, it doesn't matter. So we need to keep that phrase firmly before us. So Paul's goal and our goal as pastors should be to boast in Christ Jesus in all of our work. Or to say it another way, we should aim to do our work in such a way that Christ gets the glory. Verse 17 again, in Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God means Christ has worked in such a way in me 
and for me and through me that my work has become his work and my boast in it is my boast in him. That's our goal. Now, having said that from verse 17, it's way too general. Say so our goal is to boast in Christ and the way he's worked in us and for us and through us to enable us to do our work so that it becomes his work is way too general. And so now we look backward and forward to let the generality be given a very precise biblical focus. Go back to verse 16, forward to verse 18 and see the concrete form that this boast This work takes. I think there's a goal stated in verse 16, a goal stated in verse 18, and I think they're the same goal. Let's see if you see that. Let's start with verses 15 and 16. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So what's his goal in those verses? His goal is to offer the Gentiles to God as an acceptable, sanctified offering. That's his goal. Everything else is leading to that. I want, Lord, to so minister the gospel. I want to be such a minister of Christ that I have an offering to lay before you at the last day, namely a people, a people, holy, acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now that's verse 16. Let's go to verse 18 and see the goal here. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring about the, to bring the Gentiles to obedience. So here his goal is to bring the Gentiles to obey Christ. He believed that his ministry was an instrument in the hands of Christ to bring about an obedient people. Now, how do those two goals relate to each other? Verse 16, the goal is a people who are acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, the goal is a people obedient to God through Jesus Christ. I think they're identical. I think they're the same goal. A sanctified people worked upon by the Holy Spirit through Paul or an obedient people worked upon through Jesus Christ by Paul. Same goal stated in two Different ways. A holy people and obedient people. A people conformed to the will of God. A people conformed to the holiness of God. So now we have clarity for verse 17's goal. It's not just vaguely do all my work in such a way that Christ gets the glory. There's a very specific point on the work that he is referring to. And it is this. Paul's crowning experience is exalting or boasting in Christ and in his work through Paul to prepare an offering holy and obedient for God. That's the goal of his life. 
His crowning goal is to boast or exult in Christ and the work of Christ through him to bring about an obedient, sanctified offering up to God. That's his goal, and I think it should be the goal of every pastor in this room. Our aim as pastors is to exult in Christ and his work through us to prepare for God an offering of a holy and obedient people. Now, you might ask, why don't you just say, why don't you just simplify and say, our aim is to prepare for God a holy and obedient people. Our aim is to prepare for God a holy and obedient people. Why don't you say it simply like that instead of that long, complicated sentence you just used? And there are two reasons, two answers to that question. One is this whole passage is built on the fundamental truth that God and Christ and the Holy Spirit are working through us to bring about the holiness and obedience of God's people. We need to say that in our goal. We need to say the most fundamental, the most fundamental truth in this text, not the the main points supported by everything, but the most fundamental truth in this text is Christ, the Holy Spirit, and God are working through human agents to bring about this phenomenal reality of an obedient people a sanctified people. Therefore, we have to state our goals in terms of the most fundamental reality. We, we, we want to so pray and so live and so preach and so minister the gospel as priests to God that we are used. We are instruments in the bringing about of a holy and obedient people. That's the first reason I say it the way I say it. The other reason I include the word boasting, I'll say this again now, every pastor should join Paul in the goal of exulting, boasting in what Christ has done and who Christ is so that through us a people are assembled who are holy And obedient to Christ. And the boasting is part of the goal. Why? Why do I insist on that? I'll tell you why. To watch a people grow in radical obedience to Jesus. To watch them fall out of love with the world and into love with Christ. To watch them and see them Seek the kingdom of God first and let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. To watch them become bold in their witness. To watch a people become compassionate to the poor and respectful toward ethnic diversity. To watch them become devoted, young and old, to sexual purity and become committed to world evangelization 
in a wartime lifestyle that maximizes resources for the cause of magnifying Christ among the nations, to see all of that happen through our ministry, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ, is the greatest thing that can happen to a pastor. And shall we then state our goal so as to exclude the emotion that must have Christ The Father, the Spirit, will not be honored if you say your goal is to assemble an obedient, transformed people and feel nothing. If there's no exultation, if there's no boast, if there's no thrill that God is at work in the church, you go to a conference or get on your face, or resign. God is not honored by mere performance of proper goals without proper affections. So verse 17 is not stated in terms of mere facts. When I say it's the main point, I don't mean it says, in Christ Jesus then, my work has been fruitful. That's not what it says. It does not say, in Christ Jesus, my work has been fruitful. It says, I glory, I boast, I exult in Christ Jesus that my work has been fruitful. And this happens again and again and again in this this man's life. He lets just enough of himself show. Chapter 1, chapter 15, so that we can get some glimpse into what the heart of a pastor ought to be. What he says is, in Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud. In Christ Jesus, then, I have a boast. In Christ Jesus, then, I exult, I boast in my work in the glory of God. God will not be honored in our work if we are not thrilled by his glorious work through us. So now let's turn to that foundational truth. I said it was foundational. It's running all through this passage. What's the foundational truth? Namely, that in all our work, God is the one who is at work. That's over and over and over again in this passage. I want you to see it in in at least four places. First, verse 18. We're going to go backward. And in going backward, I'm moving toward the end. And in going backward, we're going to end with the surprise conclusion about the, the lay people. Number 18. I will not venture... Verse 18, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. The only thing Paul will talk about is what Christ did through him. So notice two things to get the truth. The fundamental truth that runs right underneath this text all the way along is Paul works. Paul works. Paul works. And when he's done working, says, 1 Corinthians 15, 10, 
it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Or here, I won't venture to speak except of what Christ has worked. Romans 11.36, from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory. Let that be the banner over every ministry. Everything's coming from him. Everything's being wrought through him. Everything's going back to him. That's why he gets all the glory. Paul loves this truth. It's here everywhere. So, verse 18, in all of our work to prepare an offering for God that's obedient and holy, God is at work. Christ is at work. Now, verse 16, we'll jump over the main point to some more support here. Verse 16, you see at the end of that verse, this phrase, sanctified. This, this people, we're going to offer up to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. That means that the Holy Spirit is the decisive cause in the holiness of the people. If the people become holy at all, if they are set apart for God and become pure and humble and righteous and loving and kind and meek and faithful and full of self-control, that's God's work. That's the Holy Spirit doing that. The Lord is preparing a people for the Lord. You thought you were preparing the people? You are. But the Lord is preparing a people for the Lord. You find that in so many places. Think of, think of Ephesians 5. Who's making this bride ready? Who's ironing her garments? Who's washing her? Who's making her radiant? The bridegroom is. He's totally indulgent in himself. To make a church fit for his enjoyment forever. And he's doing it here by his spirit. So Paul's instrumentality is seen back up a little earlier in the verse. You see that phrase? The priestly service of the gospel of God so that the Gentiles will be sanctified by the Holy Spirit. That's odd. Isn't that an odd way to talk? I'm doing my priestly ministry so that they will be sanctified by me. No. By the Spirit. So what's the connection? I'm doing my priestly gospel ministry so that they will be sanctified not by me. Well, then why are you doing it? The answer is the Holy Spirit is sent into the world to magnify Jesus Christ precisely when he's lifted up in the gospel. The Holy Spirit does zero sanctifying work apart from the gospel. Nothing. Our job as pastors is to take the gospel and preach it and teach it and pray it and live it and apply it. Because when the Holy Spirit watches Jesus crucified and risen, being lifted up in people's lives for all their very needs, he moves on them with power and they get changed. It's called sanctification by the Spirit, but he will not move where the gospel is not known. It's why missions is important. It's why faithful gospel preaching is important. It's why your testimony at the office in the name of Jesus is important. 
because the Holy Spirit sanctifies when we do our work. So, again, this is the second time we've seen it now, verse 18, and now here, in all of our work to prepare an offering for God, God is the one who's at work. Now let's go to verse 15. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given to me by God. Now, what's Paul doing here? He's saying, I've invested a lot of time, a lot of work, a lot of thought, and a lot of prayer in writing this book to you. That's my job, and I've done it. And as soon as that's out of his mouth, just the way he's wired, as soon as that's out of his mouth, he's qualifying, and I'm doing it not in my own strength, not my own truth, by the grace of God, I have this ministry, I have this calling, I have this epistle writing injunction, I have it straight from the grace of God. He said it back in one five. he's saying it here again, I have this from the grace of God, I'm not acting on my own initiative, I'm not acting out of my own mind, out of my own will, I am a totally submitted being to the grace of God, which is enabling me to do what I have to do here. And so for the third time, we see now, in all of our work, whether it's letter writing, preaching, to prepare a people for God, it is God who is at work. And now, finally, verse 14. Here comes the surprise. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another Now, that may look disconnected from all this other stuff because it might look just like kind of a psychological. I've written a long, hard letter to you. It isn't because I think you're stupid or foolish or empty headed. It's kind of a covering for himself here. A lot of the commentaries kind of give it that twist. Like Paul doesn't want them to think I wrote to you because I think you're dumb it, it has that effect. That, that, that's okay for it to have that effect. That's not the main thing that's going on in verse 14. What is going on in verse 14? He says, you're full of goodness. He says, they're filled with knowledge. So my question is, if they're full of goodness and they're filled with knowledge... Why do they need to be instructed or admonished? The verse says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another, or literally admonish one another. So if you're full, which is it, Paul? Are they full of knowledge? And full of goodness? Or do they need somebody to get in their face with some admonition and instruction to help them get more full of knowledge and goodness? You sound confused. I think Paul would say something like this if we, if we had the nerve to say that to him. I think he would say, since he's a patient man... You can tell by what I have written 
that fullness does not mean perfection because then you're right. They would have no need of anybody to instruct them or admonish them. What fullness means, Piper, what fullness means is that God has given you abundant goodness and abundant knowledge to the point where you can pour out and overflow with admonitions and exhortations and instructions and warnings and encouragements to each other so that where one is lacking, the other overflowing will supply. And when another is full and overflowing, can supply with what is Lacking, And in all of this, you do it with the fullness that God himself provides. You can just see the previous verse to see the pointer to that. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I'm satisfied about you that you're full. Where'd that fullness come from? It came from God. Where's it going to? It's going to people who need ministry through a human being. Now, here's the surprise was to me as I thought about this and where this sermon was going and decided where it should end. The surprise thing is that in a sermon for pastors who get their goal by saying, our job is to so exalt and boast in Christ and his work in us and through us that we, by his grace, might prepare a people who are holy and sanctified and obedient to offer up to God. We end by realizing in verse 14, God said the people are to make themselves holy. The people are to exhort each other. The people are to instruct each other. The people are to admonish each other. Verse 14 has intruded upon our province here. This is no surprise to any biblical pastor which means now that we need to go back and tweak our goal, doesn't it? If verse 14 is saying to all of you lay people, there is a Holy Spirit wrought fullness of knowledge and fullness of goodness that is meant to spill over onto each other. It doesn't mean perfect, just there are times when you are full and others are not and they are full and you're not and it's got to spill over onto each other so that the body builds up the body. Then pastors become what they are in Romans, I mean in Ephesians 4, 11. I'll put it like this. Our goal is to so boast and so exult in Christ and in what he's done for us and in us and through us that we are enabled to equip a people with holiness and obedience so that they are engaged in exhorting, warning, encouraging, instructing each other. It's an amazing thing what God has ordained for the church to be. We are to help our people prepare each other for an offering. The offering has three agents, you could say. One 
and most decisively, God, the Spirit, Christ, the Father, working on them. The second is the pastor, Paul in this case, who in the priestly ministry of the gospel is working to build the people in knowledge and holiness. And the third is that the people equipped begin to work on each other. We love the small group ministry of this church. It is not an add-on ministry. It is an essential ministry. Where does this one another kind of ministry happen is an absolutely crucial question. And underneath all of that goal lies this great truth that we've seen four times now. Our work to prepare a people holy and obedient is God's work in and through us. From him and through him and to him are all things in the church. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much. For the Apostle Paul, I love him. I want very much to be devoted the way he was devoted to you. I want not to speak of anything except what Christ has worked in order that in everything Christ might get the glory. Father, for these brothers that are standing around the room, both in the morning there and here, I Thank you, and I ask that you'd make this conference rich for them. And I pray that you'd help them to exult, boast in you and all that you are for them, and that you would work through them and their people so that they might present a people holy and obedient to you by Christ, by the Spirit, by your agency. I ask this through Jesus Christ. Amen.